Beethoven wrote his Symphony No. 4 in 1806. This was his 36th year. Just behind him was a huge success in the form of the Eroica Symphony, that's Symphony No. 3 in E-flat. This is a work that was conceived on an unprecedented scale and with unparalleled musical drama for a purely orchestral work. Beethoven had actually started sketching another symphony after he'd finished the Eroica. That was to turn out to be number five. This went even further than the Eroica in terms of the scale of the orchestra that was used. Instruments never before used in a symphony like the piccolo, contrabassoon and three trombones. And there's an incredible stretching of formal boundaries. Other composers, for instance, had linked movements in symphonies. They'd joined them together. But Beethoven turns this in the Fifth Symphony into the work's supreme dramatic moment. The major key light of the finale doesn't just succeed, doesn't just follow after the minor key darkness of the scherzo. It crashes in and gives the impression of banishing the darkness triumphantly. But by 1806, Beethoven seems to have decided to shelve work on this titanic, innovatory new symphony for a while. Obviously, the ideas needed to gestate a little further. So he turned to something else. Now, you and I might think of something entirely different if it came to relaxing from writing a peculiarly challenging symphony. But Beethoven seems to have gone straight to writing another symphony. Now, at first, if you look at the symphony that was to become number four, you might think that it does represent a kind of relaxation. It has the familiar classical proportions. There are the four separate self-contained movements. No dramatic pushing of the envelope, you might say. And he uses a small orchestra too. In fact, it's the smallest orchestra Beethoven ever used in a symphony. For instance, there's only one flute. In all the other symphonies, there's two at least. In comparing it to its neighbouring symphonies, numbers three and five, the German romantic composer Robert Schumann called number four a slender Greek maiden between two Norse giants. Well, I'm not so sure about that. If we look a little bit closer at number four, we'll see that there's actually quite a lot of extraordinary, intense and innovatory musical activity going on here. The symphony begins with a slow introduction. Now, that's nothing new in itself. Plenty of Haydn and Mozart symphonies have begun with slow introductions. But this is an unusually long slow introduction for a classical symphony. And clearly, the musical substance is pretty weighty. This is a symphony nominally in B-flat major, but it begins in B-flat minor. This is a very dark key. And the symphony begins cold sound, a sustained B-flat from the woodwind with shadowy slow figures on the strings.
the opening of Beethoven's Fourth Symphony. That was the BBC Philharmonic, conducted by Jason Lai, who's conducting all the extracts in today's programme. Now, Beethoven is famous for making an enormous amount musically from very little, sometimes just scraps of themes or ideas. Here, at the beginning of the Fourth Symphony, he's got two key elements to build with. First of all, there's the string figures. They are basically falling thirds, but the overall pattern they outline is of a slow falling scale. Then comes that very expressive moment when the strings rise back to the note they started from. It's a G flat. And then there's a little fall, a semitone. Now, what we have are very short, sparse notes. The strings and the woodwind seem to be groping around in darkness, with that falling semitone at the end of each phrase. Soon, the music from the opening of the symphony returns, again with that very expressive rise up to G-flat. Only this time, the music stays on that G-flat. There's no semitone fall at the end. And now Beethoven uses that G-flat as a kind of launching pad for a search that takes us through all sorts of strange new keys. Again, with the strings and woodwinds groping figures. They seem to be searching for some kind of stability. And yet, it's all in the minor. Darkness prevails right through this opening section. we seem to have come to a kind of pause there. But suddenly, immediately after that, comes one of the most dramatic moments in any Beethoven symphonies. It's like a sudden blaze of light. 
Now now Beethoven unleashes the force of his full orchestra, complete with the trumpets and the drums, for the first time in the symphony, and it's all resolute, bright, major key. The tempo surges forward, and the ideas sweep onwards. Now we're established in a bright, confident major key for the main theme of the main allegro of this first movement. So darkness is suddenly dismissed by major key brightness, and we seem to be in a completely new world with new themes. But how new are these themes? A change of mood doesn't always mean a change of musical material. Let's look back to those string figures from the opening of the symphony. There's that descending scale pattern full of falling thirds. Well, the first theme of the Allegro is also full of thirds. And there at the end on the woodwind we heard that little descending scale pattern as well. So that's another way in which this new material looks back to the opening of the symphony. There's an even closer resemblance to the string's opening dark, falling figure in the little quick turn for the bassoon that introduces the second theme. If you look closer throughout this movement, you'll see that it's full of third patterns and scale figures, all derived from that one simple string figure right at the beginning of the symphony. But there's one still more spectacular throwback to the opening of the symphony, halfway through the Allegro, at the end of the development section. It's a quite visionary moment. Do you remember at the beginning that the strings, after they fell, made that expressive rise back to the note they started on, G-flat? After a lot of harmonic turbulence, the development section seems to reach a kind of plateau, quiet, still, poised on just one chord, and the base of that chord is G-flat. Well, if you're looking at the score, you'll see that it's actually written as F-sharp, but it amounts to the same thing. Listen in this passage for the quiet timpani rolls. In symphonic music before Beethoven, timpani usually were allotted just to pick out the tonic and the dominant notes in the harmony, to provide a kind of stable emphasis to the home ground. But these timps seem to be playing the wrong note of the chord, not the bass, but the third. There's a reason for that, because the third 
of a chord of G-flat is B-flat, the home key of the symphony. And now, having established that sound by the use of the timpani, Beethoven uses that B-flat as a kind of pivot to twist us magically back to B-flat. And we're home. But that marvellous tw imaginative twist of harmony is possibly the first example of timpani really being used as key elements in a musical argument, not just to provide strength and solidity to the home key. We'll hear the whole passage now. Listen out for those quiet timpani rolls, at first with that slightly odd feeling, and then the twist back to the home key at the end. And suddenly you can feel that those timpani notes make sense. It's a musical logic that also makes sense emotionally, and you could say that that's the essence of Beethoven's formal thinking. slow movement of Beethoven's Fourth Symphony is very different in character from anything in the first movement. And yet, here again, the music is full of ideas that can be seen to stem from what we heard right at the beginning of the symphony. Perhaps you remember that the symphony began with what I call a cold, sustained note on woodwind. There's something very similar at the start of the opening of the second movement. It's not quite a sustained note, but it's just two notes, tonic and dominant, and a sustained rhythm, like a pulsation. At the opening of the symphony, the strings continued with an idea that was basically just a falling scale. And now, in the second movement, the violins continue with a melody. It's a beautiful, expressive, gorgeously decorated melody. But it's also, if you listen carefully, just basically a falling scale.
Later in the movement, there's a dramatic descending scale in the minor that takes us right back to darkness, the very darkness with which the symphony began. <laughs> The music now seems to pause for a while on this new harmony that it's reached, although there's something kind of uncertain and otherworldly about it. And then it comes to rest, but on a key that's a long way from the home key. Would you believe that the key we've come to rest in is G-flat, the same key of that visionary passage at the end of the development in the first movement, and the same note that marked that extraordinary expressive rise right at the beginning of the symphony. It's even marked by a return of the rhythmic pulsation from the opening of the slow movement, and yet it's interesting that the instrument that Beethoven chooses to give it to, it's the bassoon. It's high up in the bassoon's register, where the instrument isn't entirely comfortable. It's a most telling effect at this point. But now, just as in that visionary, hushed passage at the end of the first moment development section, Beethoven has another magical twist back to the home key up his sleeve, another re-emergence of the light. It's brought about by the falling scale figures that have played such a crucial role throughout this symphony. You hear it particularly brought out by the clarinet, who plays a four-note descending scale figure twice. And then, as we arrive in the home key, announced by horns and timpani, you'll hear a rising scale, a triumphant upward-running flourish from the flute. Again, the effect of light emerging in darkness is irresistible. movement of Beethoven's Fourth Symphony is the scherzo. This time it's a scherzo with two trios. That was the first time that Beethoven was to use this effect of having the scherzo and trio pattern basically repeated. 
The scherzo also makes use of striking contrast between dark minor keys and light major keys. The first theme begins bright and breezy in B-flat major. But then begins the uncertain minor key probing. which is extraordinarily similar to those probing, slow, sparse minor key figures from the very beginning of the symphony. So here again... Beethoven is drawing on ideas from the beginning of the symphony. So much has been made from so little, from such simple material. When the scherzo theme returns, the dark probing returns again, only this time it intensifies, and there has to be more of a struggle to get back to the bright major key. <laughs> The trio section is slightly slower, and it does present quite a striking contrast to the scherzo. Here's the first time in the symphony where I think you can sense that Beethoven is enjoying relaxing from his labours on the Fifth Symphony. The theme itself has a kind of simple, folky quality. But there are still echoes of the symphony's opening even in this relaxed, holiday-like trio section. As at so many key points in the symphony, the crucial note is G-flat. If you remember, that was the note of the expressive rise near the start of the symphony. That last note, the G-flat, now casts a tiny shadow across the trio, just for a moment. Finale now sounds, at first at least, like pure major key celebration, and the constantly running semiquavers help create an effect of evenness, flowingness. The motor is running smoothly.
but Beethoven has one wonderful touch which he keeps for almost the end of the finale, and again it draws on ideas from the very beginning of the symphony. That descending scale that we heard at the very beginning of the symphony on falling strings is also important in the finale theme. Near the end of the symphony, that finale theme returns at half speed, and then it cuts off just at the point where the descending scale should begin. Bassoon, and then strings, try to set those falling scales in motion, but all we get are rather plaintive four-note scraps. Then suddenly all the bass instruments storm downwards, the scale is heard in full, and the symphony ends in brusque triumph. 